was it just me or some of us were, you know, have been Christians for a little while and have seen a few bits of media on the internet? And uh, as Ian was praying, we were just going, that's marking. We, <laughs> we were just remembering, you know, the original voice on that and just sort of being stirred by it. Let's ask for God's help as we get excited about what he has to say in the book of Revelation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you because you speak to your people through your word. You speak to those who are not yet your people and you call them in to your family. You give people enough so that they will know you and be able to respond to your great love, to your open-armed forgiveness, to the new life that you offer, to the comfort that you give. We praise you, we thank you, and we pray, speak to us. Speak to us in spite of me and because of your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, that you are at work and that you can open our eyes to see realities that aren't just apparent with our naked eye here. With all the things that we get distracted from looking at your glorious uh, Son, Lord Jesus, we pray, help us to see as Revelation speaks to us. Amen. So as we said the other week, someone has asked, um, have you got to pick hard stuff to talk about if you do the evening service? I don't think so, but I do think that there are lots of books of the Bible that get neglected because they're not really quite what we would choose if we were to communicate, if we were to choose how we communicate truth, we might not have chosen to speak as the book of Revelation does to us. But I hope that it will encourage you as we go through it. I think that you get this. If you could, if you're sitting next to a family member right now, or a few of your family members, you get this if you can answer this question. Who is the nuttiest member of your family? Would you be able to point to them, for example? Yeah? So see, some of you, it's very easy. It's second nature. You would be able to point to anybody here who is, who fits that description in your family. All of us, even who don't have family members here, might have a crazy uncle, for example. You know what I'm talking about? That person that in your family, at the family gatherings, Christmas, whatever it is that you do, if they weren't your family, and they just knocked on your door, you would say, no, shoo, okay? You're not allowed in. There is that person. Maybe there's a habit that they have. Maybe there's a, a lack of dress code, dress sense that they have. You know, I feel that sometimes when we are doing our Bible in a year plan, Revelation is the crazy uncle that if we didn't have to say, it's in the canon, it's in the Bible, we just sort of say, do you know what? Let's just not touch that. It's just a bit too much, isn't it? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this about the book of Revelation. I can't see how he teaches us about Jesus. I'm like, Luther, come on, boys. <laughs> you know, you should have got this. But anyway, I think it's because Revelation has a bunch of stuff that we don't want to see normally. A cursory Google web search of Revelation would review pictures like this. Or like this. Or like this. 
And somebody's book, un Revelation Unveiled. Poof, red dragons, all this cool stuff, right? Cool if you're like me. You've got, for example, in chapter 12, baby-eating dragons. You've got beasts with seven heads and ten horns, chapter 13. You've got crazy numbers, crazy animals, crazy pictures. And in the middle of that, you've got good old John. He's there. From verse 1, he's saying, it's a revelation that God has revealed to him so that we can be encouraged. Look at verse 1 there. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. You look at verse 4. It is the John who writes to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Tradition has this, and there's no reason to doubt it, that this was the apostle John. The John of whom it is said this in John chapter 19, verses 26, 27. That John, when Jesus saw his mother there at the crucifixion, and the disciple whom he loved, the description of John, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. That John. And that John is writing, we find, to a persecuted church, a church, a group of people that follow Jesus, that's what it means, the people, for whom it's not easy to be a Christian because you have to give up a lot of stuff and it's dangerous to your health. We're not sure 100% uh, maybe what time. It could have been under the Emperor Nero's persecution in AD 64, um, something like that. It could have been, some scholars would say more probably, under the Emperor Domitian, uh, 95-96 AD, where there was a little bit of persecution but not so widespread that in Revelation chapter 2 verse 13, John couldn't say, that one guy who suffered persecution, Antipas of Pergamon. If you can single people out, that could be a hint that they had persecution in the past, they had a little bit of persecution now, and John is saying, more is coming. And so he says that in chapter 2. But that means, if all I've just said is true, that the book of Revelation is actually a book for encouragement of those who follow Jesus, who love Jesus even in their suffering. It's not about some crazy predictions about exactly when Jesus is going to come back or, you know, some sort of visions of the Apostle John on mushrooms or something like that. It's not because he was high that he said all of that weird stuff. But at least two massive things are happening in the book of Revelation. First century Christians who were persecuted for their faith, they're being encouraged to worship God a God worthy of worship. In Revelation today, the second thing, not only did it encourage them, but it calls us, sons and daughters of the King, to worship, to participate in a worship that is happening in the heavens, and we hear of it, and we participate in it, because we see the same glorified Jesus in the book of Revelation that makes us go, wow. And hopefully, you'll be able to see some of that. Sometimes that's not so easy to see for this reason. My wife loves cross-stitch, stuff like this, right? I marvel at the patience that is required for this. Now, can you see what it says there? I mean, it's really hard to see looking from this angle, right? Even if you looked a little bit more closely, you might be able to 
tell that there's some letters there. If you are born in the West and you can read and write. If not, not even that helps you. If not, not even this helps you. If you were close enough, you'd be able to see that it says hello. If you're Western and you can read and write with our alphabet, right? But if you give that to some rural person in a far eastern country that can't read and write with this alphabet, that wouldn't make as much sense. Well, the book of Revelation is full of symbols and signs and pictures that can be a little bit like that, like trying to look at it this way and when you don't know the right alphabet. That's why we're going to suggest that the book of Revelation is very, very meaningful when you get the context in which it was written. So I'm going to challenge you to think that Revelation is a book that you need to know. There's some stuff in here that you really want to know. It involves a revelation to know, to know that it is apocalyptic prophecy. That's a weird word, right? Apocalyptic. That it's applied history, that it shows a glorious Jesus and a revelation to bless, to bless the obedient who hear and obey it. So let's think about this for a moment. Revelation is a revelation to know, and it's apocalyptic prophecy. We can treat Revelation as a book that is really confusing or that it's obscure or contradictory. But I think that when we look at the genre, you know, like you might have crime or fiction or whatever, you know, that it turns out to be a really hope-filled, comforting, encouraging, reassuring book to those who trust the God who inspired it. It comes from a Greek word that you see there in verse 1, the revelation, the apocalypsis, the unveiling. That's what that word means. Like, for example, an artist that just, you know, worked on a beautiful sculpture, but covered it up until it's time to unveil it so that you can see and marvel and go, wow. Or when you look at a painting that you don't quite get until the artist comes alongside you and says, let me tell you what that's really about. And you go away thinking that's a masterpiece. And in the same way, God opens our eyes to see beyond our immediate context when we just read the news and we feel like he's not in charge or he's not in control. And he shows us what's really happening when he opens the curtain so that we can see what's going on backstage, backstage. And this is a Christ that is going to take us all the way to, go there with me, Revelation chapter 22. Everything that happens in history, God is aiming with this as the result, the certain result that no one can thwart in his plan. Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down to the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I love that. That's where all of history is going, and Christians are invited to remember that this is what's truly happening. And so John's apocalypse isn't the product of a cruel God that says, remember watching, um, was it Mission Impossible that had the self-destructing messages? was, wasn't it? And it's like, it's, we can treat the book of Revelation as if God is saying, 
here is a message that you can't live without. You've got 30 seconds to decode it, and then it blows up and you're gonna miss it. But guess what? I'm not gonna give you the password. We can think that the book of Revelation is like that. No, no, by definition, if apocalypsis means unveiling, that means God wants us to find out what's in this book because he knows that it's encouraging, challenging, it's what his people need. And it is also prophecy. And prophecy we see in the Old Testament, there is the element of foretelling. So there's lots of stuff in the book of Revelation about what's going to happen. But there's also foretelling, telling you to do something now based on the character of God. So you might find that in the rest of chapter 1, you see a picture of Jesus, glorious, majestic, wonderful, and that moves you to repent now. It's not necessarily about the future. That's why there's all this weird stuff. So Revelation, for example, there's weird numbers. It's number three, holy, holy, holy. Why, is, why, why does that happen? We're going to look at that. There's number four, for creation. There's a the number six, which is kind of like the number seven, perfection, but minus one. It's like imperfect. It's like the antichrist, being anti-God, aligning your life in a way that goes against God's plan. There's the number 12, which is like, say in, in English, a dozen. It's like loads, for example. There's number 12, used for God's people. We're going to talk about all of this stuff. There's weird animals in there. A lion or an ox symbolizing strength. There's a lamb symbolizing weakness or vulnerability. There's an eagle symbolizing speed. We're going to talk about all these things. There's all sorts of evocative pictures that make you feel something and see something in your mind's eye. White for purity, red for war. And so the book of Revelation is exactly that, apocalyptic prophecy. And when we look at it like that, it becomes a lot more exciting and encouraging than just nutty like your crazy uncle. But the apocalypse of John, Revelation, is also about applied history. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm in a middle-class environment here, and uh, I understand that some of you, if you are working in your garage or in the garden or if you're traveling, you would tune into the radio, and some of you would tune into what? Oh, oh, see, look at that. Classic, we started up here. Classic FM, okay. Um, if you're a little bit younger, but still sort of posh, you might say Scala Radio, which is like Classic FM, but for young people, you know. You might say BBC Radio 4. Anybody here? BBC Radio 4? So, that is a, let, let the record show that is a lot of people here. Because you want the facts. You want to know as it is. Give me the news. Give me what's true, okay? If you believe in BC, it's always telling you what's true. Anyway, so go there. You want to know the facts. And I have met so many BBC4 people who love facts so much, they hate fiction. That's not many of you here tonight because I know you and you know me. But I have met people in the past who just say, you know what, sometimes I have the time and I can pick a, a book on fiction or fantasy or I can pick a work of theology, and you know what? There's only so much time in life. I've got to read this. I need the fact. For people like that, Revelation is just really hard. And you ask the question, if you're going to tell me that the images and symbols of Revelation actually communicate truth, why not just flipping say it? 
Just say it straight. I think that God in his infinite wisdom knows that there is a difference between saying it straight and between giving it in poetic language, for example. It's the difference between saying these two things. I might be able to say, I watched the moment when the upper rim of the sun appeared on the horizon in the morning. You can say that. Or you can say, the sun rose slowly, as if it wasn't sure it was worth all the effort. Makes you feel something different. That's Terry Pratchett. You could say, I do not like Andy. Or you could say, Andy is a loathsome toad. And one makes you feel something visceral, doesn't it? Probably in him the desire to fire me yet again. You could say, I like him really. I believe I am more clever than you. Or you could say, as Shakespeare would as well, I would challenge you to a battle of wits, but I see that you are unarmed. <laughs> Similarly, there are so many things that perhaps once you understand what they would have meant at the time, you say, why couldn't God have just said it? But when you read it, it makes you feel something powerful and a compulsion to worship when you engage with what it says. All of it is rooted in historical reality. So what's John going to do? He's going to write to the seven churches and he's going to tell us a few things. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He could have just said, I am forever, eternal. But there's something about saying, do you know what? Take your Greek alphabet, the first letter and the last one. That's me. That's just, there's, there's no time at which I did not exist. You look at verses 12 and 13 and you see a description of this son of man standing amongst the lampstands. And if you carry on reading, you'll find that the lampstands symbolize God's people, the churches, the individual expressions um, of God's people as churches. He holds in his right hand the seven stars, the angels of the churches, the literal angels or pastors, we may talk about that, and he walks amongst them. What a way to say Jesus is 100% aware of what is happening everywhere his people are gathered. And he is so aware that he may challenge he may encourage, he may rebuke. Picture language rooted in historical reality. In chapter 2, verse 7, you can read something like this. Read it with me. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a beautiful kind of play on the Hebrew word Shema, that to hear is also to obey. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That doesn't mean that only if the Ephesians repented and believed, only they would get to eat from the tree of life. No, it's a picture that builds up in chapters 2 and 3 to all of the promises that are going to be fulfilled at the end of the book. Most New Testament books, we would say, if I can help you read it, I'm going to tell you, do you know what? Assume that what is said in the Gospels, for example, is literal, unless you have some reason to believe it's symbolic. Revelation, the other way around. Assume that in that genre, it's symbolic, unless you have reason to think it's literal. We're going to talk about that. But one of the beautiful pictures that we get 
that shows us and changes our history right now is a picture of the glorious Jesus. We're going to talk about him very briefly. But before I do, some of you have been around for a while, and you might know who these people are. I'm going to give you just a couple seconds each time to try and guess who they might have been. Here we go. Baby picture. Who's this? With the person next to you. Take 20 seconds. Famous person, anyone? Nice. Yes, that is correct. There's George there. Okay, George Clooney. How about this one? Younger generation. You got five seconds? Five, four, three, two, one. Here he is. Some of us who are a little bit older. We still don't know who that is. Still don't know. But Harry Styles, there we are. Could you have guessed from the baby picture what he would look like today? Could you guess who this might be? Anybody? It looks a bit like me, says one of our children. Here he is. Look at that. Brad Pitt. Okay. What about here? It is not Boris Johnson. It is, in fact, Gordon Ramsay. Okay. Anybody got that? Anybody got that? Wow. It's fantastic, isn't it? It is uncanny, though, the resemblance. It is. It really is. Now, some of these people, I would say all of these people, if you were just to try and guess what they will look like from their baby picture, no way. Unrecognizable, right? For a lot of people who have a faint, strange, culturally acceptable idea of Jesus, they look at a Jesus that is just weird. He looks weird. We don't know. Where, where is he looking? We don't know. Why does he have a split beard? We don't know. Okay, is he even the right skin color? No. And when we then meet the Jesus, the glorious Jesus of Revelation chapter 1, chapter 5, and so on, we are surprised, really surprised. Let's talk about this Jesus. Let's talk about this God, the Trinity that we already begin to see in verse 4. Look at it again with me. Look at it again. John says, Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, who is to come. Is that the Father? From, and from the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit, you've got a note on your margin of your Bible, before his throne, perhaps a reference to Zechariah chapter 4. You can read that at your leisure later on. Um, seven being this number of completeness or the full, complete spirit of God that is active in God's church. You see that in Zechariah chapter 4. And then you have plain as day. Jesus Christ, a faithful witness. Faithful because he's lived a perfect life. If you remember Hebrews chapter 1 when we were there, we said that he is, uh, in verse 3, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation. When we look at Jesus, we see the very faithful gospel witness, what God is really like. He's the firstborn from the dead, the highest firstborn, highest in rank and in status, showcasing the promise of God that all of those who trust in him will receive new life, just as Jesus. And he started by being 
raised from the dead. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth, which is probably a massive dig at the Roman emperor who claimed to be Lord and God, which Domitian claimed. Read with me from verse 12 onwards. John in his vision says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, which we, uh, if you read on, we'll see it's the church. He's amongst the churches. And there was someone like the Son of Man, a glorious reference to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 that reads this, In my vision at night, Daniel says, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. You see? And back in Revelation 1, verse 7, what do we see? Look, he is coming with the clouds of heaven, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, a reference to Zechariah. And Daniel continues, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Daniel seven fourteen. he was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is a glorious, amazing, majestic, sovereign Jesus. Back to Revelation chapter 1. He is dressed, in verse 13, in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And if you read on from our series in Leviticus, you would have seen that's a picture of the high priest. Jesus is the one that has the closest relationship with the Father. He is God. Revelation 1.14, the description continues of this glorious Jesus. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. In the ancient world, a picture of wisdom. He is wiser than the wisest human. His eyes are like blazing fire, fire being a picture of judgment, of the piercing eyes that can see precisely what any of us deserve. Verse 15, his feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. Metal shod feet in the ancient world can tread on anything. Just like in chapter 19, he treads the winepress of the wrath of God. And his voice is like the sound of rushing waters, like standing, facing with a massive waterfall. Well, you don't just hear the voice, you feel it. And in his right hand, the dexterous, able, secure hand, he holds the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth, a double-edged sword, Notice he doesn't hold it with his hand like any human ruler because he's not just going to slice at people. It comes out of his mouth the power of his word. And it says his face is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Have you ever had a staring contest with someone? It's kind of the stupid stuff I do with the kids here in church. And you're looking at them and they're looking at you and you try not to blink and you're just... Your eyes are watering, you're crying, but you can't give up your pride to lose to a child and you're just in pain until you force that child because of their weakness <laughs> to look away. And here, it's like trying to look at the sun. You can't stand it. He is so glorious, so majestic. Let me take that picture away from that. So glorious, so majestic, so impressive. What would you do if this Jesus let you see him like this? Here's what you would do. Read verse 17 with me. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
You'll faint. He's too much. It's like looking at the sun. You can't take it. But then if you belong to him, if he is your king, he touches your shoulder. In verse 17, he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Fear not. So I wonder, as we go through the book of Revelation the next few weeks and months, is there maybe an aspect of God's character that you've forgotten, that you need to be reminded of? Look at this description we've just gone through. His hair like wool. Have you forgotten he is the only wise God? In the way that he's designed his universe, in the way that he's designed this church, church life, your family, with all of the troubles and difficulties that you have to face, his hair is still like wool. He is the wise God. Have we forgotten this when we have fought so much about how do we follow the COVID guidelines? Or when we fought over urgent or unimportant issues that aren't essential to our salvation? When we fought over parenting styles and felt judged or judged each other over that? Have we forgotten his hair like wool, his wise rule? Have we forgotten his standing among the lampstands? that he is 100% aware, if you are part of his church, his people, he's 100% aware of your suffering, of your pain, of your sin that needs repenting. Have we forgotten that he is like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, ready to judge, filled with authority, glory, sovereign power, that his eyes of fire and feet of bronze are going to one day right every wrong, every injustice, and that may be the only comfort to many Christians around the world that have been wronged and people got away scot-free. This is a Jesus that says the sword that comes out of his mouth can pierce even the hardest heart of our family members that don't know him. Do we marvel at this glorious Jesus? I invite you to. And so, so far we get to see that this is a revelation to know it's apocalyptic prophecy. That's complicated. It's applied history. It changes right now. It's a picture of a glorious Jesus, but it's also a revelation to bless. Let me invite you to just ask the person next to you, if I told you that there is a list of signs that are the most ignored, traffic signs, that are the most ignored in the U.S. and in this country, what would you say they are? With the person next to you, just real quick. Signs most ignored, traffic signs. I wonder, did you say the stop sign? Be honest with me right now because you're not on camera. You see a stop sign, do you stop or do you right down to second gear, still rolling, but really slowly, until you can turn, come on. Let's just, don't tell me it's just me, some of you, one of you is going, no I don't, okay? That's fine. But when you hit the 20 mile zone, is that reasonable? 20, 20 is slow. What about when it's a 10? One of the most disobeyed signs, okay? How about this one? I'm going to tell you right now a transcultural truth for you. There is a triangular button 
in your car, which if you press it, it gives you the power to do anything. <laughs> if you want to stop, double yellow lines. If you want to park there, just turn those hazards on and expect no trouble. In Brazil, you can reverse up the motorway, no problem. <laughs> because someone will go, he's broken down. I don't know, his, his first gear must have broken down. Only the reverse works. Someone will assume it. Now, here's the thing. There is a danger to disobeying these signs. I was driving on the motorway just yesterday when I saw big double flash. And I was like, oh, somebody just got it, you know. That wasn't me, though. But I was immediately looked at my speed. Cruise control, praise the Lord. Can't go over 70. My car beeps when I hit 70. So that my wife will tell me, I better stay there. There is a danger to disobey these signs because you miss out on stuff, mostly to do with money here. Um, if you do it often enough, you lose your license. Some signs, though, you are compelled to obey. It's, you've got to be really hard-hearted, really conscience-seared to disobey. Imagine if this sign were true and you're in America. Private property, if you can read this, you are within range. <laughs> would you feel more compelled than the stop sign? I would. And here, in the book of Revelation, we read in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, because in ancient times, this letter of the book of Revelation would be doing that circuit that you see in chapters 2 and 3, well, in already in chapter 1, of all those churches where someone would probably stand at the front or in the circle, wherever, and read it aloud because not everybody had a copy. They're blessed. And blessed are those who hear it, those who are in the audience, and take it to heart, obey it, what is written in it, because the time is near. In verse 9, look at it. I join your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We are compelled, if you have seen the Lord Jesus in his, an inkling of his glory as God the Holy Spirit revealed the truth of the gospel to you, and you want to take it to heart, his comfort, his challenge, his rebuke, his promises. And therefore, those who obey are blessed. But obeying is hard, because it isn't just saying, yeah, I believe this stuff. Some sort of intellectual assent. I remember when one of my uh, mentors was studying at a Bible college in York, and he was doing some street evangelism one night. It was late at night. He's there with another bloke until someone who knows them vaguely, a, a little gang, guy, bulky, beefy, chains in his hands, and he says, you the God squad, are you? the Yorkshire accent that I can't do. Now, at that moment, he revealed to me, <laughs> I think I emptied my bowels. It, it would have been easy to say, no, 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 we're not the God Squad. See you later, have a good night. There are times when obedience is really hard. And in our culture, where it might not cost our lives, do you really believe what the Bible says about sexuality, gender, Men, women, what the Bible says about judgment or sin. What if it's your boss asking you? What if it's your best friend taking offense at something that they've discovered you believe in the Bible? 
maybe about abortion? What if it's someone saying that what you believe is dangerous for other people to hear? You can't just hold it to yourself. If you're around us, you're dangerous. Does the obedience of faith that brings blessing include calling out a brother or sister in a sin they won't repent of? Or not just keeping Jesus to yourself, but sharing him with others? Let this glorious Jesus so outshine all of these other temptations and distractions that you are the obedient when you hear what the book of Revelation says about the world. Because he is the one who says in verse 9, I am able to sustain my church. I am able to give patient endurance. Patient endurance. The blessing is, Revelation to bless, that the obedient, when they suffer, God doesn't take away the suffering, but when they suffer, he will allow them to patiently endure, even as they shout at him, even as they need uh, some faith to carry on. That's what I trust, a not giving up endurance that God will help me to persevere. That's what I pray for you as we finish this evening and say, this is a revelation to know, and we've learned. We've got to read it in its genre. We've got to see that just because there's some picture language doesn't mean it's not history, that there's a glorious Jesus there. This Jesus invites you to obey him so that you may be blessed with patient endurance. Let me pray as we finish this part of the service. Take a moment to lift your thoughts to Jesus if you would like to do that. Lord Jesus, you are so glorious and we lose sight of that. Tomorrow, when I am tempted by any sin or by uh, saying something, thinking something that I shouldn't, I will be tempted to forget that you are this glorious. And so will every other person in this room and we just pray now, help us as we perhaps reread Revelation chapter 1 tomorrow morning to be so captivated by your majesty that we treasure you above anything else that might be thrown at us. Help us to be bold and obey what your word has to say. Not because we are strong, but because you give us patient endurance. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move uh, to the next part of our service, we're going to, again, stand and sing that when we look at Jesus, we want to fall at his feet, not fainting, but in worship. Let's stand as the music begins. <laughs>